we noticed there was a third. That was me. <laughs> I did notice. <laughs> it's known as the third way. <laughs> Well, no doubt you have noticed there's, there's a lot of uh, trouble in our world. The war in Ukraine continues on, and more uh, threats or, or, or provocative statements are made, and everybody's worried we're going to get dragged into something a lot bigger that we don't want to do. Uh, our economists are still predicting a recession, and the stock market's going up and down like a roller coaster. Inflation is high, but not as high as it was. Interest rates are going up. And a patriot of 200-some years ago said, no man's liberty is safe while the legislature is in session. <laughs> and it is. <coughs> Funny things are going on all over the place. But what do you do in difficult times? And, and we haven't really hit the real difficult times yet, I think, in this country, but certainly they have a lot of other places. But if you'd open your Bible to 2 Timothy, we'll, we're going to be in chapter 3 today, but we'll, we'll pick up just a few quotes as... Paul is addressing this question with Timothy. What do you do when things get really, really bad? And, and just so you understand here, remember for Paul, he sums it up this way in, in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So I'm, I'm about to die. This is it. And he has some things he wants to say to Timothy and just a quick survey of these things. Uh, in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words. And the very next verse, Guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure. Okay? Those aren't new things. Chapter 2, verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself an approved workman. And... In 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter. Again, in the same chapter, verse 22, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. In verse 23, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. Chapter 3, he says in verse 14, Continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says this, <coughs> So as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I was thinking of these things in Second Timothy and that verse in Colossians as I read uh, Steve Louisbrand's email update this past week where he's talking again about some of the divisions that are in this uh, Roma church in Belgrade, you know, and this is this is what they need to do and need to hear, and it's not something new, is it? But it's as old as the gospel. <clears throat> So difficult times and difficult people. What do we do with that? So we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just reading the first nine verses, he says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these." For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Let's just stop there. So he's he's uh, picking up a new subject. He's turning a corner. If you recall, at the end of of uh, the second chapter, he has exhorted us uh, as the Lord's bond servants, and every Christian is to be is to consider himself a Lord's bondservant. He says, A Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, and patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So this, this whole book is somewhat of a dark book because it's against that backdrop of Paul's soon death, but he's also dealing with problems, serious problems that he mentions in, in every chapter. And, and so if things aren't bad enough, then he tells Timothy, but realize this, it's going to get worse. <laughs> so... He says, in the last days, difficult times will come. Now, what is the reference to the last days? There are 
numerous references to that in, in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament. We'll just look at a couple to find out what, what is he talking about here. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2. Isaiah 2. Isaiah chapter 2, and it it reads as such. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And the prophet Hosea says something very similar to that as well. So as you read on here, you discover in these last days he's talking about this is the millennial reign of Christ. Oh, so it goes out that far. Um, another, and there are, are numerous scriptures if you did a word search, but here's <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel 38 and verse 16. And you will come up against, well, like, to back up here to get the context here, he's, he's, uh, it's in a prophecy <clears throat> against Gog and Magog. And you're looking at verse 14, he says, Therefore prophesy, son of man, and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are living securely, will you not know it? And you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the north. You and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great assembly and a mighty army. And you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that nations may know me when I am sanctified through, through you before their eyes, O Gog. And so here he's talking about some... Uh, an invasion of Israel that seems to be happening during the tribulation. So we have the millennium and the tribulation is in the last days. Let's go to the New Testament and to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, this is Peter preaching here. And it shall come about in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he he goes on, and he's quoting from Joel, another Old Testament prophet. And some of this was being fulfilled as the Holy Spirit was given, but the other signs there, signs on the earth and in in the heavens and and uh, blood and fire and so forth are, again, tribulation events that are yet to come. Hebrews opens with those, uh, I think, well-known words in Hebrews 1 and verse 2. He says, In these last days God has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. These last days are, are the church age. In, in John's epistle, in the second chapter, he uses some uh, different words, but uh, perhaps similar. 
in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour. And he uses that expression twice. It is the last hour. Well, John said that 1900 years ago. That was a long time ago. And, of course, in 2 Peter, if you just go back a page in your Bible, the 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues just as it was from the beginning of creation and so forth. So the the last days could include a period beginning with the whole of the church age and going to the millennium. Now most uh, Bible scholars believe that in here in 2 Timothy that he's referring to a period of time preceding just preceding the rapture. And and that is and that is probably correct, but we have seen these effects that he's that he listed even throughout the, the, the church age. You will notice in chapter four, or excuse me, uh, verse five of chapter three, after listing the number of these things that are going to be true of, of, of these people in the last days, he said, avoid such as these, such men as these. Well, he's telling Timothy in his contemporary present tense setting, he's going to deal with people like that. So it's not merely uh, prophetic of a future time, which we seem to be in. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Boy, if, if things were like this before, it's even more so now. And then he get, goes on to give, uh, uh, he, he makes a reference in verse 6 that seems to be something that's happening right then and right there at Ephesus where Timothy is. So he says, Timothy, you, you know what I'm talking about here. This is an example. <clears throat> so if we're, if we're looking at the years preceding the rapture and if, and if the last days goes to, so far as to, to go all the way to the first century when the gospel was being preached, we must be in the last of the last days, shouldn't we? It would, it would, it would seem so. So, <clears throat> New Testament references in using these terms in the last days um, tend to all fall within that, that church age uh, period because the church is not there during the tribulation and we are in a in immortal bodies when we return with Christ in the millennium. So things are things are different. Uh, he talks about difficult people, and this is a long list of things. And as I was, you know, considering all these, they seem to come in. Most of them seem to come in pairs. If you look at them that way, look at them together. So he talks about those who are lovers of self and lovers of money. That goes together. A person who is focused upon his himself and his selfish desires and needs. He, you know, often wants that money to satisfy those desires and needs. And Paul gave instructions to Timothy even in the first letter about what to say to, to rich people and not to trust in riches. So the question always comes, 
to me, am I, am I trusting in my own resources? Am I trusting in my own uh, savings account or in my own retirement account? What am, you know, what am I really trusting in? And we always have to ask ourselves those questions. But people will be lovers of self and, and lovers of money. The second pair is boastful and arrogant. Now, they sound a lot alike. Uh, they're a person who wants to boast in himself and in his own uh, abilities and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, and arrogance, that of considering yourself better and beyond everyone else. Now, something about an arrogant person. An arrogant person uh, has, a, has a critical weakness. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. Now, that may sound a little funny, but what I mean by that is he doesn't think there's anything worth knowing or that he needs to know that he doesn't already know. And so such a person can be difficult to tell anything to. Okay. And so he never sees trouble coming because, well, didn't expect it would happen to him. To somebody else, maybe, but not to him. <coughs> Boastful and arrogant. Um, revilers and disobedient to parents. Now there's one there that, that kind of startled me a long time ago in my, in my younger years. It's the disobedient to parents part. Okay? Now, there it is in a list of the, figuratively speaking, dirty dozen. I mean, but really, disobeying your parents, is it really that bad? Well, in the scriptures, in more than one place, it, it does mention it in a list of very serious sins. And so the one who is, and, and, and a reviler is one who, who speaks disrespectfully or scornfully of authority. And so, for example, we're familiar with, with uh, what was done to the Lord Jesus as he was on the cross. Those passing by, they reviled him. They hurled insults at him, and, and so forth. And, and Peter speaks of that in his epistle, when he, in chapter 2 there, where he, where he talks about the example of Christ. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. So one who is a reviler is, is one who who speaks very scornfully of, of authorities. Well, what authorities? Well, the authority, authority of God, uh, the authority of, of government, uh, and, and in, in, in other areas, uh, if you might work with a reviler sometime, a fellow co-worker or something, or, and they, they can be hard to get along with because they speak so critically of those who are in charge or their superiors. And it would be hard to, hard to work with such a person. And then disobedient to parents. A, a child who, who, whose disobedience, which, which, which he inherited from his dad. I gotta, sorry, i got to tell you that. And going all the way back to Adam, if, if this is not curbed in him and restrained in him, he will become disobedient as an adult as well. So, so in our in our child rearing, in our parenting, that's one of the things that we seek to do is 
to bring that child under, under control that he might become obedient and not uh, a rebel. One who remains a rebel as a child and a teenager will be a rebel as an adult. And the, it is possible to make corrections when the, the child is young, when, when the tree is tender. I, I remember the first uh, trees that I planted in the first house that we ever bought and uh, got the, the tree in a big root ball from a nursery and had the hole dug and prepared and soaked with water and, and put in some more dirt and some, some fertilizer and I got that ball in there and I filled it all in nicely but the last thing I did when I was all done is I drove in two steel posts around each tree and I put a band around that tree and tied it like that so when the wind would blow it wouldn't weaken this thing before it had established its roots. You can do that when a tree is is young and tender. I've also had situations where I had a tree that was already bent a certain way, and I could pull it back. Like we had a, a tree that grew up by our deck. The old deck we tore off. And it was it was kind of going off this way, so I pulled it back in and tied it to the deck to make it kind of go up straight. You can do that when a tree is tender. But when it gets mature, the only thing you can do is cut it down. So in, in, uh, in life, if, if rebellion is not conquered in childhood, it will be much more painful in adulthood to deal with. Ungrateful and unholy. A person who is ungrateful does not recognize that he is a recipient of the grace and mercy of God. But he considers what he has is, you know, it's mine. I got it by my own efforts. I earned it. I deserve it. And what does he have to be thankful for? It's just his. Unholy. Having a, a then a, a profane and selfish outlook on life. He is unloving and irreconcilable in, in verse 3. When there is conflict and division between peoples, whether it be in a, in a, in a nation, whether it be in a, in a family, whether it be in, in, a, in a church, it, as we read in Colossians, love is the perfect bond of unity. And so for reconciliation to come about, love is necessary. But he's talking about people that are characterized by being unloving and irreconcilable. And then malicious gossips and without self-control. Uh, maliciousness is, is an intention to hurt. Sometimes it can be merely a wish an attitude. Uh, someone who has malice in their heart is ready to believe a bad report about someone and he doesn't need evidence to support it because he already thought that way. And so gossip that is born of this is intended to hurt and to wound. 
and without self-control. So these passions that sometimes can well up in us in the flesh are not brought under control and, and uh, eliminated. He's brutal and haters of good. Brutal. Mean. Maybe vicious. And such a person uh, hates or despises the good, which he does not do. Treacherous and reckless. He's someone who cannot be trusted because he will betray you. Reckless. He has a disregard for other people in the way that he behaves. Conceited and a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. So a conceited person has an an inflated view of himself and therefore naturally seeks his own personal desires instead of the will of God. And then he kind of sums up in in verse 5 this statement. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Now, as... You know, I studied this passage. There's, uh, while many believe this is especially appropriate or even prophetic to the last days before the rapture, uh, at least one of the writers that I read, he saw this as a description of Christendom in the world in, in the time in, in which we live. And, and the term Christendom is of, often used or commonly used to refer to just everything in general that tends to call itself Christian. That's a wide spectrum. It includes some who have the name Christian but don't even believe the gospel, don't believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. And, and some that may not even believe in God at all. But I think if we do that, we're going to miss something here. We're going to miss the point. I don't think it's an us versus them type of a thing. Now, these are some a a terrible list of things that are mentioned here. But do do these ever uh, show themselves? Do they ever rear their head in in ourselves? In our assembly because what Paul is telling to Timothy has application to where he's at right now and and we've already read about some of the the divisions in the assembly and the problems they were having so we don't want to say this is something that applies to somebody else and not to us he gives a couple of examples now the first one is well they're both these examples are a little bit mysterious okay the first one in verse 6 he says and you know with regard to this list of, of, of things he says among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses now what in the world is he talking about there 
but it was something that seemed to be happening right then that Timothy, you know, was having to deal with, so he knew what this was. So there are those who are taking advantage of weak people, those who are weak morally and spiritually, and uh, leading them in a bad in a bad direction. And then verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who's that referred to? Does it refer to the, the weak women? Or does it refer to the men who are trying to take advantage of them? It's not necessarily clear there. So that's a little bit of a, of a mystery. And then the second example... He says, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, where's that from? Now, if you, if you looked it up, uh, you might find a reference to Exodus chapter 7 and verse 11, but if you looked it up in your concordance, you would not find these names anywhere but right here in 2 Timothy. So, who are these people? They, they seem to be among those magicians, at least this was what Jewish tradition held, and, and uh, many Bible scholars think that was probably right, that were among those that first confronted Moses when Moses and Aaron came before Pharaoh. And you remember at first they were able to duplicate some of these miraculous signs. Uh, but that didn't go very far. So he, he talks about, names these two that we don't find named anywhere else in the Bible. So, uh, we don't know exactly who those people were. But it says this about them. They oppose the truth. And they're men of depraved mind and rejected in regard to the faith. So they reject the faith. In the next verses, he talks about persecutions and suffering. So, what do we do in difficult times? Now I think he's going to get to that. And, he, and, and as we looked at that, those first nine verses, well, that, sounds, that sounds pretty bad. But these, this is the culture in which we live and that we seek to evangelize in. So out of that kind of people... We seek to draw converts to the gospel. Won't be easy. Beginning at verse 10. Now you, talking to Timothy here, now you followed my teaching and conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <clears throat> but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that... From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation 
through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So we had a list of, of things up above, a lot of commas, and this, and this, and this, and this. And now he does something similar here. He says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. So in contrast to those above, consider these things. Uh, Timothy knew well what Paul was talking about here because he had traveled with him uh, for much of his of his missionary career and then back and forth uh, later on as an emissary of the apostle. But he had personally witnessed some of these things, some of these persecutions and sufferings. And he says, out of them the Lord rescued me from them all. But he said here in chapter 4, which we already took a peek at, he does not believe that he shall be delivered from this one. But he encourages Timothy to continue on uh, in steadfastness. Verse 12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that's a verse I've often heard quoted. And what, what does it mean? Is there a way to avoid this as a Christian? Well, in a lot of cases there is. And the way you do that is you keep a low profile, you kind of keep quiet, don't speak up, don't take a stand for the gospel, and people will look by you. They won't notice. But that's not what we should do, is it? So those who desire to live godly are going to experience persecution because of the contrast that their life has to the ungodly and because of what they are calling the ungodly to, to the gospel. Um, So he says, evil men and imposters are going to proceed from bad to worse. Okay? I think we kind of... Sees a lot of that happening in our in our world today. Things are proceeding from bad to worse. But he says, I want you to continue in the things you've already learned. Don't forget in the dark what you knew in the light, someone else once said. So the things that you know when things are going well are still true. <clears throat> when the roof falls in and when when trouble comes upon you. Now, I want you to go back to verse 10 and compare it with verse 16. So, in, in both of these, he starts off with teaching and proceeds to other things. In verse 10, Paul's teaching led to his conduct and established his purpose and declared his faith and he (coughs) patiently endured in it 
in love and perseverance. Go to verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. What is teaching? Teaching is the imparting of information and knowledge so that you might know what the truth is and what to believe. Then where you go from there? There's a progression. The scripture is also useful in reproof. The first person we want to reprove with the teaching of scripture is our own heart. We want to, we want to do that when that is called for. Be able to do that. And for correction, we correct ourselves and we correct our path and we correct our attitudes and so forth from the scripture. And for training in righteousness, a, a discipline so that, so that we are able to, uh, to stand in the day of persecution. How should we live? We learn that from the scriptures. And notice there's a, there's a final result to all of this. So that the man of God may be adequate. Now what do you think about that? You ever feel inadequate for what you've got to deal with? Yeah. But from the scriptures, we can be made adequate and equipped for what? For every good work. Knowledge does not exist for the sake of knowledge. Some time ago, I went out to lunch with the person who is uh, the greatest known critic of my preaching. And just to even things out, I invited along the person who's the greatest fan of my preaching. So, Brandon and I went out to lunch, just the two of us, and some among the things that she's told me is uh, you take too much time with the introduction and you need more personal illustrations and <laughs> she doesn't even remember it. She's looking at a painful face. And, and, and you, need, you need to spend more time on the application. So I've been thinking about that a lot and, and really trying to do that. Uh... I think that if our teaching is only to add knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge upon knowledge, we can really win in a game of Bible trivia, but it won't change our life. Um, For the scripture to have its way with us, it needs to progress then to these other things. So, The scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness for this result. So is it having that result in your life? In the list of things in verse 10, this is a reassurance to Timothy. Timothy, you, you followed my teaching. He's been there from... 
Timothy got saved on Paul's first missionary journey. He heard his teaching, and then he joined him as a co-worker on the second journey. And he's been with Paul a long time. He's, he's delivered letters to churches for, for Paul and, and so forth. He's been, uh, he's been a faithful co-worker. So he says, you followed my teaching. You know what I've taught. And my conduct, how I lived, how I behaved, what I did. You've seen my purpose, my motives. You've seen my faith and patience and love and perseverance. Persecutions and sufferings. So, Timothy, when that happens to you, you be ready. That is an application to us. To be ready when when trouble comes. When persecution comes. When When you are criticized or or put at uh, advantage or even reviled for being a Christian. Are you willing to uh, endure that? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, if things are going to get worse in our world, what do we need to, to meet them? The thing that's emphasized over and over throughout this epistle is the word of God. We are not looking for novelty in a time of trouble. Novelty is a new idea or a new interpretation that nobody else has thought of. Be careful about novelties. But instead... As he said in the beginning, guard, retain a sound standard, guard your treasure, be diligent workmen to be approved, and continue in the things that you have been taught. Preach the word. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you have given us in the scripture all that we need to be adequate for what might be coming we don't even know what that is God may we uh, be ready to put these things to the test in in our life and to, to practice them that we might have the attitude of Christ when we experience a time of persecution or suffering. Lord, make us ready and willing to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with a really difficult generation and in difficult times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.